So this morning we're going to talk about the one another's. Uh, discipline number three, uh, which fits in, folds into discipline number three, the ministry. This morning we're going to talk specifically about relationships. Relationships within the local church. And the tool that we're going to use to do this is something called the one another's. When I first became a Christian, I had heard people use the one another's or the Beatitudes, and I'm like, what is this secret Christian language? And uh, the one another's, uh, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably uh, learned about them, you may perhaps have studied them. The one another's are a tool to survey scripture for how we are to practice biblical relationships within the local church. They're a tool for how we are to interact with one another within the local church. The one another's are, uh, don't capture everything about how believers relate to one another, but they are an extremely helpful tool. And you guys are going to have... Oops, not that page. This page. You guys have this page. We're going to be referencing this, so go ahead and pull that out. Have it ready. Um... So how did we come up with the one another's? How did, how did I come up with the one another's? Um, I had a desire to study the one another's in depth uh, a number of years ago, and my small group's been walking through that very slowly now over the last number of years. And you know, when I went about to do that, I started studying it. And uh, the tiny little phrase, one another, is a very simple adjective pronoun pair. And in my English translation, the New American Standard, one another shows up 108 times in 101 verses in the New Testament. There are primarily two Greek pronouns that get translated into that English phrase, one another. Some of these 101 verses are simply narrative passages explaining what's going on. For example, in Mark 8:16, they began to discuss one another that they had no bread. However, we want to look at and focus on the imperatives, the commands, or expectations for how believers are to relate to each other. There are some commands that don't apply. Matthew 24, 10, betray one another, hate one another. Revelation 6, 4, slay one another. Uh, so the results of filtering down that whole list uh, filtering that down into the commands relating to believers that we want to, uh, or expectations for believers. Um, we get 38 different one another's contained in 59 different verses or passages. And some of the one another's, you know, that's not a one-to-one correspondence because some of the one another's have more than one verse reference. And on here you have all 38 one another's and you have all the different verse references that correspond to them. So this is a, a really helpful resource in that regard. The one another's are found in two different Gospels, Mark and John. They're found in 16 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the vast majority of these one another's are explicit commands or expectations for believers. And the vast majority of these commands are to be carried out within the local church. Look around at the people in this room. You guys can look at each other. Um... Think of your small group. On Sunday, tomorrow, look around the church. Look around the building. 
Those are the people that you are to be practicing these commands with. And my hope and desire to provide some familiarity, if you're not already familiar with them, so that they stand out in Scripture, or that perhaps you'll be practicing them more effectively within our body, specifically the body here, um, the body of Christ here, Grace Bible Church. And my hope is that after going through this lesson, you'll see that the obedient Christian, you, me, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church, within Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another within the local church. I'll say that again. The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another in the local church. The one another's are essentially a manual for how biblical relationships in the local church work. And one thing that we're not going to do as we walk through this is we're not going to pit against each other uh, passages that talk about believers loving other believers in general or loving non-believers. All those passages coexist and complement each other well. But today we're going to zoom in and focus on what God's word has to say about the one another's, about these biblical relationships for believers within the local church. And as you've already seen here, uh, we're going to step through uh, six questions. So here I have them broken up and categorized into six different categories, love, care, edification, service, humility, and unity. And to walk through these and step through these, we're going to ask six questions. And the six questions we're going to ask are how to investigate. We're going to ask six questions to investigate how God wants us to practice these biblical relationships within the local church. So question number one. How does God want us to practice loving one another? How does God want us to practice loving one another? The primary and single most important one another is love one another. That command stands over and above all the others. It is the umbrella that covers all of the others. All of the other one another's flow out of this one. They flow out of a love for one another. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, and we're going to be in a number of different places in Scripture. Um, so hopefully you have your uh, page-turning skills honed. John chapter 13, verse 34. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The historical context here, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're in the... Uh, upper room for the last supper he is hours away from going to the cross and in this particular portion judas has already left and jesus provides a new commandment to his disciples starting in verse 34 jesus says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you that you also love one another by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. 
I want you to see that word love. When you read that word, what's one of the first things that jumps to your mind? What do you think it means? Usually one of the first things I think about are the, the emotion that goes with that, the, the feelings, the warm affections that I have for people that I care about. A biblical love includes that, and it's so much more than that. A biblical love is one that loves the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's one that loves our neighbor as ourselves. It's a selfless love, a self-giving love. That kind of love is one that transcends our circumstances. I also want you to know something else about that word love. It's a verb. It's an active verb. This love is a love of action. And in this use of love, that action is directed towards one another. And now Jesus provides a new commandment. It's new because it narrows the focus of the love. The disciples are not simply to have a love of neighbor. That's already been established in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, and in Leviticus 19.18. Here they are to love one another. And the one another's here are the 11 disciples who are left. You, disciples, love one another, the disciples. Jesus did not give this command to the crowds. He didn't give this command to all those that, weren't, that were following him. He gave this command specifically and intimately to the eleven. To the ones that he had spent three years developing very close, intimate relationships with. The disciples are to love one another. And if we look at verse 34, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. They're to love one another with a love that's modeled after the love that Christ had for them. What kind of love did Christ have for them? Christ's love was unconditional. His disciples were not the easiest bunch of guys to love. His love was humble. He came there to be with these men, to serve them, to love them. His love was merciful. His love was gracious. He gave to them and privileged them, not based on anything that they had done. His love was patient. Regardless of what they did, regardless of what they said, he was patient with them. Jesus' love was self-giving. His love was selfless. His love was sacrificial. His love was demonstrated at a great cost to himself. He loved them when they didn't love him. And here, he's, he loved them when he knew that they were going to abandon him. He's hours away from going to the cross knowing that they are going to abandon him. The disciples were to have that kind of love for one another. And the results of that love for one another, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. 
That love provides a witness, provides a testimony to the world. This new commandment that Jesus gives his disciples is a commandment for us. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we are to have close, intimate relationships with fellow believers for the purpose of pouring out our love on them. Our love for one another stands as a witness to an unbelieving world of who we follow. Our love for one another draws attention to Christ. The love we have and show and demonstrate with one another magnifies Christ. This love is the outstanding and essential mark of a Christian. Another passage for love one another is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. So go ahead and flip over to 1 John. The Apostle John wrote this letter to the local churches, likely that were around Ephesus. And I'm going to start reading in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Verse 10 tells us that uh, he who does not love his brother is not of God. Our love for one another is evidence that we're believers. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Again, our love for the brethren is evidence that we've been saved. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Christ's supreme example. The love that Christ displayed by laying down his own life is an example for us. Verse 17, we love one another by providing for the worldly needs of our brethren. Verse 18, we love indeed in truth. Verse 23, we love one another just 
as he commanded us. Let's uh, flip over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. It might be on the very next page. 1 John 4, 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 10, he loved us when we didn't love him. We actually hated him and rebelled against him. And God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent the perfect sinless one from heaven to earth to become human, to be born in this fallen sinful world. He sent him to be the propitiation, the wrath satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Not for his sins, not everyone's sins, but our sins, his people, his church. <laughs> he bore that wrath, the punishment for those sins, for those people that did not love him. And in verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, you know, God's love is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, merciful, gracious, enduring, costly. Provided for our greatest need, which is reconciliation. Doing that which we were helpless to do. And in light of all of that, in light of all those one another passage, or uh, love passages, love one another passages, what should my love for one another look like here with the people of Grace Bible Church? There needs to be others in my life here at Grace Bible Church. I need to know what's going on in their lives so that I can so that I know how I can love them. I always, I need to be always looking for ways to love them earnestly, constantly, consistently. My love needs to be selfless with godly motivations. Everything that I have, my time, my knowledge, energy, possessions, are all the Lord's and need to be available to love one another. Loving one another may be costly. It may be and often is inconvenient. And here in this country, we love our convenience. It may be a sacrifice. I 
But this is how God wants us to practice loving one another here at Grace Bible Church. How does God want us to practice caring for one another? So if we look at our, our handout here under care, you'll find care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, comfort one another, pray for one another. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for care for one another. So let's flip on over there. The one another is found in verse 25. And the context for this verse is really all of chapter 12. And Paul here is addressing the local church at Corinth. And here uh, in, in the Corinthian body, Paul is dealing with division in the Corinthian church. They had factions over who was baptized by who. And now Paul is addressing division within the church because of spiritual gifts. And the focus Paul has here is on the unity of believers as one body in Christ. Not as individuals, but unified for the common good. And that the different members of the body are necessary. So I'm going to actually start reading in verse 12. And we'll make our way through uh, verse 26. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? Part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now... There are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, is it not much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary? And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow much more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become more presentable? Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In verse 24, it says that God is composing the body so that there would be no division. God has so composed the body. God was putting these members together. God was the one putting it together, composing it. 
that the members may have the same care for one another. Paul's contrasting division with care for one another. And Paul provides two different examples in verse 26 of this unity that we actually have in the two examples being suffering and rejoicing. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When we when one member rejoices, we get to rejoice. And every year when I when I teach this lesson, I I have images of those that have suffered um, in our body, and we we've been having a lot of significant suffering over the last few years. Um, and as I've gone through this and and seen this, the the care that our body has stepped up and provided in the midst of the suffering that has gone on has just been encouraging and just been a praise to God. How our body does that so well, has demonstrated itself to have done that so well. Um, and, you know, right now there, there's much suffering with people battling cancer and other ailments in different situations and circumstances. There's a lot of suffering going on. And our body steps up and provides that care uh, very well. And the rejoicing with one another, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we like to have the little Lion King moment when people have newborns, um, when people have adoptions, when people get engaged or married. We like to rejoice. Those are significant events. And those are things that we love to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. God puts different members in the body with different skills, different resources, different capacities for the purpose of providing that same care for the body. God doesn't want divisions or factions. He wants us unified, caring for those that are suffering and unified, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. Another way that God wants us to practice caring for one another is Bear one another's burdens. Found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. So go ahead and flip over to Galatians. Here Paul is writing this command to the local church found in Galatia. Now I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This passage is dealing with sin and temptation and restoration. To bear means to carry something that's burdensome and to carry it with endurance. Burden just means a heavy load. Something that's difficult to carry. <clears throat> Believers in the local church are being called to, to walk with a fellow believer and to help them bear <clears throat> that burden of sin and temptation. Ultimately, on to repentance and restoration. That is the end goal. Sin and temptation are significant burdens, and we need help. We need help from one another. And this is not just a, a pastor's job. This is the job of all of us. One of my former pastors said, you are either bearing a burden 
or you're helping somebody else bear theirs. <coughs> Those are the ways that we can practice caring for one another. Number three, how does God want us to practice edifying one another? Under edification, on our handout, we have build up one another, admonish one another, speak truth to one another, speak to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encourage one another, seek after that which is good for one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're going to look at build up one another, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. So, flip on over to 1 Thess 5. <coughs> I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. These believers had questions and concerns about when the day of the Lord was going to take place. And so Paul proceeds to encourage them and build them up. He explains truths about believers they're not in darkness. They're not overtaken. They're not destined for wrath. They are destined for salvation in Christ. They are sons of light, sons of day. Therefore, since for unbelievers, there's wrath, and since for believers, there's no wrath, encourage and build up one another. And Paul was actually using these, he was providing an example. He was performing that example for them. He was encouraging them and building them up with these truths. For us to, to practice this, this assumes that we're in close communication with believers. That we spend time with them so that we can encourage them and build them up. Another way that God wants us to practice edifying one another is admonish one another. Found in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. So flip on over to Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Uh, and concerning you, my brethren, 
I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. The word here for admonish, some translations may say instruct, is the word nutheteo, which may seem familiar to some of you who have heard of nuthetic counseling, also known as biblical counseling. This simply means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, to admonish, to warn, to instruct. This is not simply instruction for knowledge's sake. It's instruction for the purpose of having someone avoid or cease doing something. And specifically, if one is admonishing somebody with authority, it is to be using scripture. So that it's not you saying that somebody should avoid or cease doing something. This is what God's word has to say. We do not admonish somebody with preferences. And this admonishment, this admonishment is lovingly going to your brother or sister, warning them about something that needs to cease, something they need to avoid. Often the brother or sister doesn't know they need to cease it or doesn't know they need to avoid it. And we're to do this with one another. And Paul here is affirming these Roman believers are able to do this with one another. All believers bear the responsibility to admonish one another. Whether we feel we're able or not, God's word actually says we are. Uh, And so whether you've been a believer for days or weeks or for decades, uh, you're able. You, You know the gospel. You've been saved. You have the Holy Spirit objectively dwelling within you. You have the ability to do that. God says that you are able to do that. And so again, this is not just something the elders or deacons do. This is something that we're all commanded to do with one another. And so Paul here affirms that these believers were equipped to do so. And so are we. What is an implication? If we're given the command to admonish one another, what's the implication Well, there's that. (laughs) The implication is we're going to be admonished. Right? If we're all commanded to admonish one another, and if we're actually doing that command, we're going to receive admonishment. And we should have our hearts prepared to receive admonishment. Nobody's going to, likely nobody's going to do that perfectly. So our hearts need to be prepared to be admonished and we need to be carrying out the command to perform the admonishment where necessary. And again, this is just lovingly, lovingly going to a brother or sister and doing this. And likely none of us really want to be confrontational. We like to be encouraging. But if one of our brothers or sisters is actually in sin, what is the most loving thing that we can do for them? We can shed light on it. 
we can expose it and we can lovingly admonish them for it. These are ways that God wants us to practice edifying one another. How does God want us to practice being humble with one another? Under humility, we have give preference to one another, be subject to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, confess your sins to one another, be humble toward one another. We're going to touch on give preference to one another, found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. So flip over a couple pages. This command, obviously given to believers of the Church of Rome, and this section of Romans has some 25 exhortations for believers. And this specific section that our verse is in is dealing more with family relationships, specifically the family of God. And found in verse 10, uh, we're going to be talking about give preference to one another. So the second part of verse 10, give preference to one another in honor. Some, relate, some translations may say outdo one another in showing honor. This give preference or outdo means to do with eagerness, to do exceedingly, to lead the way, to go before, to precede, to prefer. And honor means high respect or esteem. MacArthur says to, to show genuine appreciation or admiration for fellow believers by putting them first. We are to go before being proactive so that we can give honor. We're showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. Quick to show respect. Quick to show admiration. Quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others. Quick to show genuine love by not being jealous or envious. It takes humility to get outside of ourselves, to see others at all, let alone to see them first. Because I mean, our, we're just naturally, we're, 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 we're self-focused. Another way that God wants us to practice being humble with one another is to confess our sins to one another. Found in James chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess means to make an admission of wrongdoing or sin. Confess it. Admit it. We are commanded to continually do this with one another. This is not something we desire to do. What does sin want, what does sin want to do? Sin wants to stay hidden. Sin wants to stay private. Sin wants to stay secret. And you, when, when you mix our pride in with it, we want to run from confession. 
But God wants my sin and your sin exposed. And he wants it dealt with in the loving fellowship of believers. This is God's kindness. We run from this, and yet this is God's kindness. Because God wants your sin exposed. And it can be exposed a lot of different ways. And if we are quick to confess our sins, that to, to fellow believers in that loving, intimate relation, in those loving, intimate relationships, um, And we, we need to be in those close, intimate relationships to, to practice this. And this is just a humble thing to do. It takes a lot of humility to do this. And that's one of the reasons why in Matthew chapter 18, how there's the first step is what? Go to your brother or sister. Yeah, it's keeping it tight. It's keeping the circle small so that God's not exposing your sin to a large audience. And each step exposes it to a larger audience, right? Um, that's again, that's God's kindness and graciousness. How does God want us to practice serving one another? Number five, how does God pra- want us to practice serving one another? Under service, we have serve one another. Be hospitable to one another and wash one another's feet. We're going to start with uh, serve one another, found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And I'm actually going to read verses 4 through 11. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold of grace and as the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Out of a fervent love for one another, we are to serve. And here, serve, you might recognize the, the Greek word there, diakoneo, which is the word, we, how we get deacon, This is a personal service, a discharge of loving service. In Greek culture, this word had the meaning of waiting tables. And for the Greeks, this service was looked down upon as undignified. A common saying is, we are born to rule, not serve. Our service to one another is out of a love for one another. And it can be very humbling. It can be very exhausting. And as we serve one another, pouring ourselves out for one another, we're serving, verse 11, by the strength which God 
supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Our loving service to and for one another is all about the other person. And it's all done in God's strength and it's all done for God's glory. So our serving is not about us. Another way that God wants to practice serving one another is wash one another's feet. Found in John chapter 13, verse 14. So flip back over to John. And here, uh, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, but this is actually prior to Judas leaving. So here, all 12 are present. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel, with and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered and said to him, "What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter." Peter said to him, "Never shall you wash my feet." Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, and taken his garments, and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who has sent greater than the one who sent him. Back in Israel, there was dirt and dust everywhere. And it was not uncommon for this dust to be upwards of an inch thick. And what do you guys think happened when it rained? Yeah, that was just a big mess. And when sandals would be your primary uh, foot protection, um, your feet would get very dirty. At the entrance of every Jewish home, there would have typically been large pots of water so that everyone that would come in and would go out could wash their feet. And for a slave, this was the most menial task they would have been given, to wash the feet of all the guests. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived at the upper room, there was no slave. One of the twelve should have offered to do it, 
but the 12 were too busy arguing about which one of them was actually the greatest. Found, and we know that from Luke 22, 24. They were too busy being selfish, thinking about their perceived greatness, to see the humble service that needed to be done. So Jesus, the God of the universe, the King, the Messiah, who had already humbled himself by coming to earth, took another step even lower. And Jesus, by his example, displayed incredible, humble service that the disciples were to do in a like manner with each other. We're to get low. And we're to follow our Lord's humble example of service to one another. We don't exactly have the same dirty feet problem, but there are plenty of menial tasks, humble tasks, that we can serve one another with. When I think of this, someone that I that just served so humbly, um, I don't even know if many of you didn't even know who he was, Johnny Beckman. Um, he served in transparent ways. He served everybody in this church. Whether you knew him or not, you, he served everybody in this church um, in just transparent ways, humble ways. Um, he, he would just loved taking up the, the menial tasks and just doing them and performing them. And now he gets to see our Savior right now, face to face. Um, and he was a, a, a humble servant. He never looked for eyes to be on him. And, you know, the fact that when, uh, when he died, I had many people come up. It's like, so who was he? Where did he sit? What did he look like? And it's like, and he served all these people. So uh, there are lots of humble, menial tasks that need to be done. And we need to be willing and able and desire to do those things. These are ways that God wants us to practice serving one another. How does God want us to practice being unified with one another? On unity, you'll find be devoted to one another. Let us not judge one another. Be of the same mind as one another, accept one another, greet one another, wait for one another. Do not consume one another. Let us not challenge one another. Let us not envy one another. Show tolerance for one another. Bear with one another. Do not lie to one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not complain against one another. Fellowship with one another. We're going to look at be devoted to one another, also found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. So flip back over to Romans. And this is the first part of that verse. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Some translations say love instead of devoted. This isn't the same love that we've been talking about. The Greek, the Greek word behind devoted here means the natural love that occurs within the family. This is a kindred love, warm affections. It could be translated lovingly loving. And the Greek word behind brotherly love is a word that you all know. What? 
Philadelphia, brotherly love. Yes. Um, that literally means love for brother or sister, a blood relative. That's the affection, the tender, kind, caring, concerned, warm feelings and affections that one has for a blood relative. If you put it all together, you might get in the uh, MSV, the Martin Standard Version, you might get be lovingly loving with one another with loving love. That's a lot of love. And that's also why I'm not a Bible translator. (laughs) Believers are to be devoted to each other. Believers are to be having these affections and love for each other that are reserved for blood relatives, for immediate family, for brothers, sisters, parents, children. And here, Paul applies that family love, that family kind of blood love to Christians. Believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have one father and we are children of God. We are family in Christ. There are things that I will do and say to a close family member that I wouldn't say or do for a friend. How much unity are we to have within the family unit that God has ordained? That's the kind of relationship that we have with one another here at Grace Bible Church. And we're commanded to have those same warm affections with each other. Another way that God wants us to practice being unified with one another is let us not judge one another, found in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. And here the context is all of chapter 14, which deals with the conscience. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who, who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. One regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put a stumbling, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. The two issues that Paul is addressing in this chapter, uh, one is dealing with food, and the other is dealing with certain days being regarded as more important than the other. We have weak believers, we have strong believers. 
Strong believers can have this attitude of <coughs> this attitude of contemptuous superiority. And the weak believers can have this attitude of this self-righteousness. And Paul provides the command not to judge one another. These issues with the food and the you know certain days, these are in the area of Christian liberty and practice. These are areas that that are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. They are personal preference, personal preference, and historic tradition, not doctrinal or moral compromise. God has accepted both the strong and the weak believer. If God himself doesn't make an issue of such things, what right do his children have to make an issue of those? That doesn't mean we don't talk about our preferences, but we don't hold our preferences as though they were principles. And we don't judge brothers or sisters that don't hold the same preferences. And we don't regard them with contempt. That's another way that we can practice being unified with one another is to not judge each other's preferences. So we've investigated six different questions on how God wants us to practice these biblical relationships within the local church. So let me ask a few more questions. Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? We all live in America, and this country is very consumeristic. We're impacted by it. We can't get away from it. And it's easy to bring that consumeristic view into the church. It can be common to only focus on what I get out of a relationship. What I get out of a Bible study, what I get out of a small group, what I get out of a worship service. I view how well something is going based solely on what I felt I got out of it. That is a view of relationships within the local church that scripture does not support. The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers, you guys here at Grace Bible Church. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is going to be the practice of the one another's with the people here at Grace Bible Church. And here at Grace Bible Church, the primary vehicle and ministry that we have for practicing these biblical relationships is called small groups. These are going to be smaller groups of believers here at Grace Bible Church with which we get to carry out and foster these more intimate relationships. 
we have to be very purposeful to set aside time such that we can actually gather together for the purpose of focusing on these biblical relationships to actually practicing these one another's with each other in a very purposeful way. And men, you need to lead in this discipline in your home, with your spouse. You need to mobilize your home to be able to do this. I am personally just so thankful for God, how God has composed the body to put us in relationship with one another. I'm very thankful for how he's put me in relationship with the, the different small groups that I participated in, in my current small group, and those close biblical relationships. I've been blessed. I'm sure many of you, most of you, if you have participated for long, have also similarly been blessed. And that you've experienced the, the love and the care and the edification and service and humility and unity of your fellow believers here at Grace Bible Church. So hopefully I was able to provide, hopefully this lesson was able to provide some familiarity with the one another so that they stand out more in scripture um, so that you'll be practicing them or practicing them more effectively within the body, specifically here at the body at Grace Bible Church. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And if anyone has any questions uh, afterwards, feel free to come talk to me. Any hard questions, go talk to Matt. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we've just been exposed to your word. All these different commands from your word. Lord, your word is rich. Your Lord, your word is encouraging. Lord, I, I pray that we would love your word, obey your word, and Jesus, that it would result in just a greater love for you and to, to glorify you as we care for love and just have all these different relationships within the body that you've put us in. This is your body. You are the shepherd. Jesus, it's all in your name and it's all for your glory that we pray. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.